Everybody, welcome to another installment of Show to Be with Mike G, the show of life, the show of hockey, Ontario, hospitality, bar metrics, giving things to the community and paying it for. That's right, today's guest is the amazingly impactful, charismatic Sean Finter, the CEO and founder of Bar Metrics. We sat down recently during Bar Institute in Dallas this year. We talked about life. There's so many things that you get to understand about Sean via his interviews via his podcast and some of the blogs that he's got here online. But there is a really great story behind all of this. There's a really great father. There's a really great husband behind all of these amazing tales he had to share with me. And it's a great time to release this chat with Sean. You know, one, it's a week where it always helps to pay it forward. And we want to set a standard and an example in the community to share the things that we've learned, shared our experiences and our best practices. And in fact, Sean has yet another summit here coming up called the Bar Business Breakthrough Summit. Applications are due here in about five days. I will post the link, but it is an experience of which I've heard a little bit about from someone who intended and it is inspiring, enlightening, and maybe help save your business, your bar business. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this great chat with CEO of Bar Metrics, Sean Finter. I'd like to be on the podcast. I'm curious. You know, I, love, I love talking to people, and I get to meet so many cool people in the work that I do. That, uh, and I'm always relaying the conversations to people. And someone said to me, when I want, why don't you record these? Yeah. You know, I would love to hear from that person. So I started, and like anything, I'm new at it. Uh, how, do it how do you like, so the, I'm teaching a class on it, oddly enough, tomorrow. Okay. Podcast, which I, I love the, that medium. How do you feel about your voice? Like literally your voice. Do you like it? Do you know how to inflect it and all that? The first time I heard it, uh, <laughs> You know what? The first time I ever heard my voice and paid attention to it, yeah. I was drunk on my own answering machine. Oh, shit. And it, it changed the way that I, I drank. Really? I just thought, man, if that's what I sound like, <laughs> no one deserves that. Yeah. Um, and then same with this. Like when I heard it, I thought, wow, you know, it it's, uh, wasn't exactly as I thought, but I, I'm, I'm fine with it now. Do you, do you ever do the voiceover stuff where you're doing the intros and you're like, I had this opportunity to sit down. And Not yet. Not that's yet. the part, I think. It's the grading part. Yeah. You know, you had to sit there and you just listen unabashedly to your voice. Right. It's kind of annoying. Yeah. But you do have a slight bit of an accent still, which gives you a little bit of charm. Okay. As a host. That's good, right? Uh, I hope so. It's got to be good. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this story, as I understand it, this intersection with hospitality starts in, in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Right? So you're a Canadian guy, born yeah. and raised in Ontario. Is that fair? Yeah, small town. What kinds of things in this small town did you do? Were you a sports guy? Were you an academic guy? Uh, sports guy. Played yeah. hockey, oh, hockey growing up. And uh, like a lot of kids in my town, the dream was that's, that's how I thought for a brief period how I was going to get out of that town. Yeah. I did not want to be there. And uh, like all kids, you know, you think this is the ticket out. Yeah. And uh, I learned early on, I had friends, that, I had a lot of friends that went on and played pro hockey. Oh, no and, uh, 
and once you start to see that separation at a young age, yeah. like I, I saw kids that were my age that, you know, were 50% better than me, you yes. know, and, and I worked just as hard as them. And it's, it was no wonder, you know, the 10 or 15 kids out of my area that made it really made it pro. So yeah, I, I love sports, but I knew that wasn't going to be my ticket out. Well, so that's, it's kind of an interesting thing because you, let's, we'll talk about this 50% thing in a second, which I think is actually a really good thing to highlight when we talk about performance and talent. Even, yeah. Right? But for you, did you have the wanderlust? Did you see things on TV or watch movies and you're thinking the world is so big, why am I stuck in this small town? I I wish I did. My family didn't travel a lot. <laughs> no? and, and the things that I saw on TV were like exotic, like Africa or, you yeah. know, and, and that wasn't, I wanted to go there, but that wasn't, you know, my interest. I just wanted out. Oh, I, I wanted to go and, and just get the hell out of where I was. Yeah. And uh, I was willing to do just about anything to, to go. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, you know, I've seen some movies. They take a dark turn in yeah. the 80s. When yeah. Rich, like Richard Gere's ready to do whatever it takes. Right, right. right. <laughs> but for you, the the American dream, in a sense, is you go, you do your thing in high school, and then you go to college because that's mm. what people do. Yeah. For you, when you think about higher ed and academia, was that part of the plan for you as well? No, that's in, that door shut for me uh, in, in many sense at a young age. When yeah. I was 12 or so, um, I was failing out of school. Um, really struggled. Um, I haven't graduated high school. Yeah. So uh, I was something I didn't talk about for a long time. I was really ashamed of it and, and uh, embarrassed. Um, I, uh, I didn't learn to, to read properly until I was 20 or 21 years old. Oh, interesting. Was it something like dyslexia or actually just... It was dyslexia. Misdiagnosis wow. yeah, as, as French-Canadian. My mom's French-Canadian. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and dumb jock syndrome maybe mixed in. Yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, you know, when you you can't read very well. Uh, when I was tested uh, at that time, I had like a, a third grade reading capability and, yeah. and second grade retention. Like I just couldn't, not only could I not read, I couldn't remember what I read because I was so focused on each individual word. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's almost like seeing the larger picture for things, but just spinning your wheels. Yeah. Trying to understand that. Does that, does, in a different way, because I, I didn't experience that as a growing up. Mm. Um, do you, you think that kind of thing isolates you a bit? That you feel like everybody's getting it and perhaps like you're just falling behind, but you don't know why? You know you're smart enough to get it, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had friends that were struggling in school as well that, that I don't want to say they um, submitted to their future, but like I was told by teachers, you know, hey, you're a big, strong kid. You got a strong back. You'll do well in construction or a plumber or something. And, and that's fine for people that are good with their hands or that are wired that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it, it sounded like a prison sentence. And, and especially, you know, in, when it's 20 below in Canada, like yeah. digging ditches or carrying boards really just didn't seem like what I wanted to do for the next 40 years of my life. I, yeah, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah. It's like just grueling work. Yeah. So I had to, uh, I had to find another way. And um, luckily for me, it was this industry, you know, the restaurant industry that really – you know, really gave me a path and something to believe in and, and something I thought I could be really good at. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm very fortunate to have some young, or at a young age, to have some amazing mentors that, that stepped up and, and uh, really pulled me out of a pretty, pretty dark place. Yeah. There's something that we use the word community all the time for the hospitality industry, the bar community, hospitality yeah. industry, uh, rather community. And do you feel like maybe that was the first place that made sense? That you're like, I get these people, they get me, I feel part of a gang. Right. It's yeah. kind of that sense. Not gang mentality, but just you finally you're part of something bigger. 
Yeah. You know, for, for me and in, in the early businesses I was exposed to, they were almost more uh, military structure, you know, just a, really? a collection of misfit toys working there. You yeah. know, people in my town, there was, you know, there wasn't very many ethnic people. They all worked in the restaurant. There was uh, kids that were struggling in school. There were 45-year-old women who were divorced, which wasn't very in fashion back in the 80s. You right, know? right. Um, they, we all worked together and had this leader who just demanded so much out of us and, and, and excellence and, and, and progression. And uh, we all struggled together and we just kind of grew up together, had this opportunity. So Was it hierarchical in that way too, where it is pretty uh, stratified, I think is probably the word for it. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, it was, there was a plan and a path. And so long as we were uh, working hard and, and focused on and delivering. Yeah, um, it didn't matter. Things got, things got done. That's amazing. So what side, you're, I read a story about washing dishes at 12 years mm. old at a truck stop. Yeah. Probably the, the paramount moment before perhaps your track is totally into the hospitality industry. But what was the first job in this industry and what was the position that made you realize, okay, this is something that's actually challenging intellectually too? Mm. Well, you know, that, that place in particular, the, the truck stop that I worked at, um, a couple things occurred to me. The guy that owned it um, had a second grade education from Greece. Yeah. He was from Athens and came uh, to this town I lived in. And, you know, he was rich in, in, my, in my estimation. Yeah. You know, he had a horse farm. He had a Cadillac. There was two Cadillacs in my Cadillacs. Town. Oh, yeah. yeah. He had one. His wife had the other. You oh, know? that's amazing. So, yeah. And I realized, like, through him that, you know, it wasn't just about hard work and, and sticking to it. Like, he was good at what he did. Mm. He understood his audience. He took care of his people. And he always did what he said he was going to do. And I, and I realized that, shit, if that's all it takes, I mm. can do that. Because that's integrity almost and it's pure essence, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I, I just became very hopeful there. Yeah. That, um, you know, not only, and it wasn't about being rich. It was about being able to take care of myself and maybe one day take care of a family. And yeah. I thought... This was the first place that, that I was exposed to that and was hopeful that, that I could too. That's amazing. The Cadillacs, man, such a massive symbol yeah, in the yeah. 80s and the 90s, you know? Yeah, it was. When it comes to the, the people component, it sounds like, I mean, you seem like a really cordial guy, very open, very warm. Inherently, as you were working or starting to work in the hospitality industry, was that a strength? Did you like the people part of it? Yeah, I did. I, um, I When I played hockey, I was a captain or assistant captain oh, okay. and... and uh, I was encouraged as well to, you know, leave behind what, what wasn't working, and, but to bring in what, what was. Yeah. You know, so I was always, um, you know, I, I fancy myself good in that area and just, get, you know, getting a, a team of people together. I, I like, um, you know, what I like about that aspect of leadership is, is really circling around the back and helping some of the younger people that are struggling, doing for people now what someone did for me then. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, that felt good to me. It felt natural, and it's always been a part of, you know, the way I've operated. Your, your paradigm, perhaps, as a leader, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to the 50% thing, because I think this is mm. a really key piece, and I think this intersects a little bit with what you're talking about. Knowing what you're not good at mm -hmm. is just as important as knowing what you are good at. Yeah. So when you talk about the 50% thing, so you're mentioning these other guys that had this natural talent, perhaps, because sports is obviously yeah. physically it's physically dominating sport you know not as much mental although there's a blend yeah for you did you come into that realization at some point that to say i know you said you you know diverged away from hockey but as a leader and as a professional to say i'm not good at this stuff over here i just need to focus what i am good at 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like, just shed all the stuff. Like, stop trying to be an American author, right? Yeah. Like, you, you're a shit writer. Not right, right, right. But that's how people yeah. are. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's when you're when you're young, and, and maybe it's all throughout your life, like when you're ready to, to receive someone else's wisdom. Yeah. Um, and I was. You know, I realized, man, I did not have what it took to get going and get out of there. Um, and this second gentleman who came into my life, and, and the thing he said to me in that area was, he said, whatever you do in life, it, nothing's neutral. He said, it will either give you energy while you're in it or yeah. it will rob your energy. Yeah. So even with sports, like when these guys started pulling away, mm. yeah, there's no doubt they had more natural talent than I did, but I'd see them after practice and they were as excited as before where I was robbed of my energy. You know what? I, I oh. liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah. And that's a big part of the formula so being able to identify that at a young age like you know as as crazy as it sounds i i used to get a lot of pride out of washing dishes and, and i was really really good at it yeah and i wanted to be the best at it and i was taught that you're like the linchpin of the business you uh -huh. know a restaurant can't outperform the dish pit when you get busy and i was i was fast i was efficient i, I got nearly perfect at it mm -hmm. and i was able to serve and support the rest of the team from that position and i loved doing it and then each position i went into I was able to quickly recognize, like, do I love doing this? Mm. Like, can I do it for 10 hours and leave with a smile on my face? Yeah. And things that I didn't, it's, I'm, I don't consider myself a quitter, but I, I didn't jam myself into that space and think that this is going to come around. I think as humans, we know what we like. And, yeah. And if we can be present to that, then it just works. It's, it's such an intuitive way to think about your career and your passions, right? Yeah. Hobbies, even. And... For some reason, I feel like people in this industry, maybe it's ego, and we'll talk about ego here in a little bit, but perhaps it's their desire to want to be known or their desire to be successful at any or with any means that they don't take a look at themselves and say, I'm actually, I'm pursuing this this white whale over here, and it doesn't even really connected. It's not connected to my heart. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think I see that a bit more now. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think people get stuck too. You know, I... This is the one thing I've been good at. It's it's fumbling forward, right? And and, yeah. and when I get knocked back, I, I typically don't sit there and and lick my wounds. Like I realize that's part of the process. Where a lot of my friends, you know, in the past have been in things and they've been kind of stuck and they don't even recognize that they're stuck. And mm -hmm. I'm like, you know, I think maybe having kids is part of that too. When you have people that like now my position is to suffer, and I'm like, I, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think that's what we're here to do. Yeah. And I don't think you can suffer for 10 hours and get home and be energetic and positive right. uh, consistently. So Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, and, and this may be a little bit of a tangent. I've been divorced once. I got remarried. And I feel, I, I feel like the second marriage is the result of me knowing what I'm not good at. Right? right? And yeah. taking that stuff off the table. So yeah. how about your, like, the interpersonal relationships? Have those also gotten better as you realize, like, this is how I'm flawed. Yeah. And this is how I'm great. Well, you know, speaking of, of wives, I met mine when I was 12 around the same time. No kidding. Yeah. Her that's dad incredible. owned the other restaurant in town. No way. That's how it is in Canada. They have arranged marriages, so I would know. <laughs> <laughs> How many goats did you get? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, so we've been, and we have been together all the time. We went to the prom together and all that. But then she went off to university, and I, and I went to, to London. Yeah. And, um, you know, a relationship of that length. We've been we've been friends for over thirty years, and we just had our our wedding anniversary on the weekend. We've been married seventeen years. Oh man, it's great! Congratulations! And, uh, on that. Yeah, and and you know that's that's cool because you have that history and legacy together. But you know, you mentioned relationships. Like, 
you know, over time, like over five years, and you at, you change countries, you have more kids, you have different friends and everything. Yeah. And, and like any relationship, sometimes we get stuck and you just need coaching and you need encouragement and you need a new, you need to upgrade your operating system. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. She's a lot smarter than me, so she's present to that a couple of years before I am typically. And then okay. when I get on board, you know, we kind of get new tools. And Talking is essential, isn't it? Talking these things out. It is, you know, and it's, um, for for us, it's, you know, you got to talk together, but you, you've also got to dream together. You know, you got to have oh, those yeah. big, big goals together. And, um, you know, I, I'm, one of the things that makes me happiest is being a dad. But you're suddenly living, in my case, you know, for four other people and, and their agenda and, and what's going on and giving yourself there. And as parents and as a couple, yeah. You know, we got away a little bit from like what makes you happy and what makes me happy and yeah. when are we happiest together outside of this table for six. Right. Because sometimes, you know, my mom's got a little bit of the martyr syndrome and she knows it. I've yeah. said it to her lots of times, but we become too selfless sometimes right. to your point, right? Where you're thinking about the greater good all the time, but yet how to make yourself better. Yeah. To, to the dreaming piece, I've got a problem. I've got goals, right? I have a hard time dreaming because I want things to be planned. For you, are you an analytical person and so measured? Because it seems like you've got this methodology of which you teach. Um, but there is this underlying and undercurrent of psychology to it as well, which is kind of softer, a little more gray. But that having these kinds of specific, like quarter one, quarter two, is it hard for you to dream knowing that it's not a reality and that you don't today have to plan for it? No, I'm a I'm a total dreamer, and and that and so you know you, you, I've had to structure my life with people around me that are a little bit more realistic. Yeah, Barometrics. I've got a business partner. He's been with me for 12 years. Uh, my wife is a lot more structured. My board is much more structured. Yeah. My advisors are structured. So I have to offset that, and and sometimes I refuse to just be consumed by the details. Really? Right? Like if you're, you know, if if your role in business is um, development and, and change, mm-hmm. right? Change. It's, it's hard to be um, strapped down every day by the, the detail and things that happened last month. Yeah. Like I, I have to recognize it and, and be present to it, but I can't live in last month if I want to keep playing my role in the company. That's right. Fumbling forward, as you say. Not that these are mistakes, but just the constant movement like yeah. a shark, right? Keep yeah. propelling forward. That's good, though. I'm glad because I, I need to be around people that say, no, you can dream. It's fine. Dream, right. Just dream. But like, but when are we going to do it? Just dream. Like, yeah, but uh, how much do I have to get to make now, right? Like, I'm just too structured sometimes. Yeah. Although, being creative is still something that is a big piece of yeah. my life. For you, too? Do you, do you have that nice balance of analytical mind and creative? Yeah, yeah you know, and, and in bursts, I'm, I'm a sprinter when it comes to that. Oh, yeah. You know, I like to get in in the right environment and and uh, and participate in that. But, you know, in, in general, I like to... To write and discuss and, and talk and and dream, you yeah, know? And, dream. and I think dreaming out loud too. And you know, some of the best companies, it's like you talk about it enough that instead of getting stuck in how are we going to do this, you know, we we talk much more about why we're doing it and why we're willing to to suffer, yeah, and to uh, put ourselves out there and who we're fighting for and why we're fighting. That suddenly you've got enough people talking about it and dreaming about it that it just starts to happen. It's amazing. It's almost cultural. Right. Yeah, and you know, if, if you see so many businesses, I, I get to see a lot of businesses that do really well and others that fail. And, and I'm not saying this is a hard, fast rule, but 
often the failure comes in people getting stuck in the details. Yeah. Right. Like if, if I look back at any success that we've had as, as a business or the different businesses that I have, it's no great success has ever been as a result of a great plan. You know what? It's <laughs> okay, never gone according true. to plan. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's our ability to yeah. sort of fumble forward. They say, what do they say? Entrepreneurship is the ability to, to fail forward with a smile on your face. That's right. right? Yeah. And just not get totally demoralized and pissed off. Still get out of bed, man. Yeah. Every morning. Yeah. Well, this piece, I mean, this bar metrics piece, it, I don't want to go as far as to say it's defined your career, but it's certainly been a massive influence on it. This, because you moved to, how old were you when you moved to London? Uh, 18. 18. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Where, where about, or did you rough it in London as an 18 year old? Uh, you know what? London for me was, I was just there a couple days ago. I just, was, oh, cool. I took my daughter to, to uh, four different countries. Oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just in London a few days ago. My last stop with my, my eldest just graduated the eighth grade. So that was her gift oh, cool. to, to explore and see Iceland and took an Amsterdam and Paris and London. And, um, but my original, um, time in London, yeah, was a lot rougher than this time. <laughs> there wasn't saying a shortage house yeah, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, eating at really cool restaurants and, and we have an office in London. So we've oh, got, man, we've got amazing. 80 clients in, in London yeah. and, and it's, but you know, th- at that time the pound was at a, at a decade or a few decade high and oh, yeah. I was earning, I, I worked at places that were like American style places, meaning that you got tips. Yeah. And I made a decent wage in, in sterling and I'd bank up money like a a fifty pound note was like a gold bar in Southeast Asia or no, Africa. Kidding. So I'd I'd work really hard for three, four months and then I had a flat that I'd sub sublet and then I'd go and, and in a period of, of six years I traveled to twenty five countries. That's incredible. Yeah. I so. mean who it sounds like an amazing, amazing experience. Yeah, it was cool. That was my university, you know, working yeah. and traveling and seeing the world. Some people are really afraid of different cultures, different places, things that make them uncomfortable. Yeah. When you're traveling or you enter these opportunities that are very foreign to you, how, how do you react to that stuff? Uh, I, I was afraid at first, you know, if you're from a town of 1,200 people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was just open-minded when I got there and I, I wanted to um, eat new foods and meet new people and, yeah. and just, I don't know, I just slowed down. And it was before all, you know, this constant connectivity, you know? So like people watching was a thing. Yeah. And, oh, I love that piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. Talking to somebody on the train. I remember going from one place to the next and meeting a couple of people and then getting off at a cafe and talking for two more hours. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's, that was, those were the phones those were the texting yeah you know just actual personal interactions and you know through this industry like bartending specifically i worked uh two summers on a greek island i worked a little bit in in um in thailand i worked in australia i worked in south africa so that is a a a 10x factor on on experiencing a country right when you're living there for a little bit and your friends and, and hanging out having dinner with your parents friends and talking about you know, at that time in South Africa, Mandela was, was became president uh, a year or two prior and like the universities were on fire and, you know, yeah. stuff you might read snippets about in the paper, but to be there and working there for a little bit. and You could smell it, I'm sure, in the air. Yeah. You know, that's how vibrant the history was that was emerging around you. Yeah. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm very envious of that. I just, I, not that 
people can't do that because they absolutely can. And if they want to travel, they can. Especially now, more than ever, you get tickets anywhere. Yeah. And you find a map on your phone. It's easier than it right. was. But at what point, or rather, was there a moment where you said, all right, I've talked to lots of people. I have been to many different countries. There's got to be a way that this all comes together. All of these, what seem like maybe tendrils of a larger tree. What was the root? Did you have a moment where you're like, I'm connecting all this stuff together? And maybe this is a leading question. I don't know. But was there a project where you're like, okay, I can take all this experience and turn it into something for other people? Yeah. You know, I, I, I started to figure out a, a formula for myself that, you know, I, I can earn good money, have, you know, I went from uh, bartending into managing. I, I worked for a little while for a consulting firm that had done work on a business that I worked in. I was totally intrigued by... Same industry? Yeah. Oh, okay. I was totally intrigued by the idea that these, uh, the guy that ran the firm, he passed away about five or six years ago, but he was known as a turnaround artist. And I'd heard that term before and I didn't know what it meant. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought I did, but to see them come in and almost totally culture-based in these businesses where they just put new leadership and then describe what they wanted to do and how they wanted people to feel. And, yeah. and, and I watched that happen. And, and, you know, the coolest thing was, like, it happened at the business I was working in and, and everything got lighter and everything got better, you know? And I thought, man, that would be a cool thing to do for a living. So, yeah, I started to piece together different aspects of it. Mm. And when I, when I decided that it was time to settle down, I, I had visited Sydney and um, I thought, man, this is this would be an awesome place to be for a couple of years. Yeah. Did you have a family yet at that point? No. But I rekindled my relationship with Jenny, my wife, and um, we were uh, going to be somewhere. She was on her way to Japan to teach for a year. I said, I, I really want to go to Sydney. And we did the long distance thing for a little while. Yeah. But when I got to Sydney, like I took this toolbox that I had put together and started applying it to businesses. You know, $2 million businesses, $5 million eight, nine million, like didn't matter the size, right. just people there and started to turn these businesses around, take them from literally distressed assets. People were miserable, afraid, mm -hmm. failing into viable, successful businesses. And then I thought, well, the natural next step is I'll do this for myself. Yeah. Wow. And yeah, that's how I became a restaurant owner at a very young age. It's in a way you kind of, and, and I, this may be the wrong word, but I feel like there's this spiritual element to it. And that does not involve religion or, or anything. It yeah. just involves emotions and people and their kind of energy, right? You're an enlightener. Does that make sense? Maybe activating people, allowing them to see themselves. Maybe allowing them to see the dynamic and the energy of other people around them. You know? This is loose, loose, right? Yeah. But when you think about your ability and your talent to rally people together and make them feel better... Yeah. It's a psychological thing, right? But for you, where where does that ability come from? Is it experience? But it's, it's there's so much in the heart too, right? So I just wonder how this inspiration, how these powers are kind of imbued to you. Well, what after uh, getting out of this town, I went to Toronto and I worked for Hard Rock Cafe. I always joke, and it was still cool to work at Hard Rock. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably wasn't. It was my <laughs> perception internally. Um, and... At the same time, like I was doing two or three nights a week and busy nights, and I thought, man, this bar across the road uh, had two really busy nights that we didn't, and a couple of my friends were working over there as well. Yeah. And I got to know the manager, I got a job there, and I hated it. And it was so similar on the surface, like another themed bar restaurant, 
cheesy uniform. Everything was similar. Sure. But I realized it was all the leadership there. And the guy who ran it, I won't name him, he was just a prick. And yeah. he, he just, he really didn't give a shit about the people that worked there. Um, he was miserable himself, I, I later learned. Right. And, and that misery was just distributed at work. and Infectious, and, right? Yeah. And, you know, I had friends that were like, able to plug in and just isolate all of that. And I wasn't, you know, I was so susceptible to that energy and everything else. Ah. And I realized like, you know, a business is like this puzzle, you know, and you've got all these people that come together, but someone leads it and someone decides how low the low is going to be and how high the highs are going to be. Yeah. And I, and I figured out that if I could govern that, if I could, you know, put together a plan and bring together the right team of people. Um, and I, and I really, I've always had success in, you know, putting together people like me. And I mean that in, in a way that, um, you know, the first big contract I did with Barmetrics, mm-hmm. the, this company came in and did a due diligence on us. <laughs> and, and I mean, our office was a, a complete shithole right. uh, above a, a blood clinic. Oh. Uh, so really cheap rent. The place was empty for years. Yeah. And there's a short elevator ride. And when people go up for their blood results, um, you were either in the lift on the way down with the happiest people on the planet oh, or the no. saddest people. Like you knew what those results oh my were. God. <laughs> There's no hiding what your results oh, are. Man. There was like an STD clinic. So oh anyways, cheap rent. Um, so this company comes in and does their research on us. And one of the boxes, do they have a physical office? Right. We do. I'm sure he thought not a very good one. Um, anyways, this was back when kind of email was still new. Mm. And he actually forwarded us like the whole thread. So as a young guy, you read everything. Oh, yeah. And it said something at the bottom. And I know exactly what it said because it's in, it's in my mind forever. But he said, um, this, despite being a group of misfit toys, I have absolutely no doubt that they'll be able to deliver on their promises. Oh, that's amazing. For three years, I wasn't able to hear the second part of that statement. All I could hear was him calling me and us misfit toys. Oh, wow. And when I told someone how, you know, how it upset me, I told my wife and my friends and they're like, well, don't you hear what he's saying though? Like, and maybe there's some truth to it. And every time someone said that, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And more so for some of the people, I'd have Polish guy, this guy, people that had had problems in their lives. And we were achieving at this high level. Yeah. We were now getting contracts with public companies and like, you know, seven figure contracts. But I was just so immature. I just couldn't hear the beauty in what he was saying. Yeah, absolutely. You're a dreamer. Yeah. You're a rebel, the people that change the world. I heard, though, you know, he didn't say it, but what I heard in that was he doesn't have his high school diploma. This guy's Polish on a work oh, visa. Man. This guy's the wrong, you know, pedigree, whatever it might be. So at, later, as I began to embrace that and realize that, yeah, we are a group of misfit toys. And there's something beautiful in that, right? Like it, it's a place to come and prove yourself. Yeah. And, and improve and and figure out who you are. I mean, that's a it's remarkable to think about that. That it's it. Most people would say, "Well, no, we're great, right?" But that's not the reason of which you were taken aback by that statement, right? Yeah, it's it's it is so strange. How about were you in your thirties yet? Even at that point, I had just turned. Uh, I was thirty-one because okay. I had just uh, I was in the process of selling my restaurant group. And I had started Barmetrics before I sold it. And, yeah. and really in that, like this business was only ever supposed to be, I don't want to say a hobby because it was a lot of work from the beginning, but it was only supposed to be like a give back to all the people that helped me along the way that yeah. every time I said, man, what can I do for you? 
they said, just pay it forward. Like anyone who's been super successful that's helped me, like been so kind and, and almost to say like, what could you do for me? Yeah. So do for somebody else. So that was the idea, like with Barmetrics, that I, I thought if I could help 10 people who were scared like I was and struggling, and like there's a formula, like business, it, the way that we do it today, it's been done for 200 years this way, yeah. right? It's a, it's a very simple model, and you just have to do very ordinary things at an extraordinary level. Yeah. And so we put all that together, and I thought, man, I'll just help 10 people. And then I was disassembling my board from selling the restaurant group, and I said to one of them, like, maybe this could be a business. And they did the research of like, well, there's not really any small consulting firms that have done well or, you know, it just didn't seem like much. Yeah. And within uh, 18 months, we had almost 100 clients. Like it just just took off. Kind of reflecting back on it, and there's been a lot of, I'm sure, ups and downs, a lot of milestones in terms of revenue, in terms of number of clients, whatever various metrics you use. But at the core of it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. So... You grow up listening to somebody play guitar and sing, right? You're a big fan of their music, and they've taken you to all these places emotionally. Like, you really built this relationship with them, and then you meet them, and you realize that despite the success, they still are just the kid that once picked up a guitar and found a way to scream out his emotions. Yeah. So despite the massive amount of influence that you have in this industry, in a positive way, you're just general nature altruistic personality are you beyond the guy that thinks he's not good enough that he doesn't measure up just because of a sheer difference in academic accomplishments yeah you know on, on that score when it comes to education it, it really i really thought i'm gonna have to confront this and having kids you know, my kids yeah. have asked, like, hey, Dad, are you ever going to go back and get your high school diploma? Um, I don't know when it happened, but a few years back, like, you know, I'm, I, I don't feel that need anymore. Like, yeah. I, I just, it's not that I'm past it, but um, it just doesn't matter. You know, I, I realize that learning how to learn is the most important thing. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education. I, I take courses. I, I, I read um, a lot. I you know, I study um, as hard uh, for about six months of the year as most students that I know that are full-time at university. Mm. So learning to learn was the most important thing. Um, now, especially since moving to this country eight years ago, um, where, you know, we, we have a, a very broken industry in that we've got three million of the working poor in this country work in our industry, wow. right? Three million people that don't work one job but two and can't afford to take care of their families. And the only thing that'll change that, the only thing that'll set them free is learning, right? They've got to learn to learn. And and the fastest way to achieve that is to have leadership lean in and go, hey, this isn't our our problem, but it's our responsibility. Right. Right? We really have to figure this out together. And so that's where education comes full circle now for me. It's why I'm here in Texas today. Um, you know, I, I just... I'm, I'm as passionate and, and as inspired today to, to work hard um, for those 3 million people than, you know, for, for anybody else. It's, yeah. it's the work that needs to be done. The lesson that you've learned to pay it forward. Yeah, yeah. And, and I hope through that and through, you know, connecting with, with people like Lindsay and, and all of the other leaders in this industry to say that, like, let's, 
really shape the conversation around that. Let's figure out. And, and the and the really fortunate thing is that like doing the right thing for those folks is mm-hmm. is doing the right thing for business. Yeah, we've now coached uh, nearly seven thousand different operations teams around the world. It's incredible, and it's it's always the case. There's no exception to the rule, right? If if you're genuine about it and you put a a plan in place and you invest in the right people, yeah. right? People aren't dishwashers that I'm successful in business A, therefore I'll be successful in B. So that's part of what we teach is to figure out like, who are you? What's your leadership style? What's your business plan, your vision? And then you you put the right people on that team and you invest in them. It, it always works. Yeah. And it shows up like on the bottom line, which is really cool. With, I had a, a few friends that attended a recent like summit. Is that a good word for it? recent bar metrics summit. Okay, yeah. Um, and I hope it's not fight clubish in which there are certain things. They didn't get into too much detail. Okay, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I hope it's not like, well, what stays here? What stays here? Right? right. But in a way for them, it was, the, pre, the pre, to preface the question, this particular gentleman had such an opening and inspiring time talking about his flaws, talking about the things that he was afraid of. And one of the things for him so that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for one is because it's like you've developed this transparency or you've encouraged people to be transparent and not be a boss and then just, you know, suck it up and like you're reporting to me, right? So that's how it's got to be. But by sharing your flaws, by sharing the things that you struggle with as well, that actually raises all boats kind of thing. Yeah. But for this this particular person, this goes back to making sure the education there and teaching people to learn while people are more driven to learn than they ever have been because of its accessibility to data. Just You can hold it in your hand. But at the same time, the industry itself is saturated and so super saturated in larger markets like Austin or like Dallas. You have this kind of disparity. So how do you get the right people to stay in your business knowing that there's plenty of other offers, there's plenty of money out there Mm. to lure them away? Well... You know, in, in the line of work that I've done, and especially as a restaurant owner, um, it's it's a really hard sell to say, come on here, and in 25 years, you're going to get the watch, and it's going to be awesome, right? right? Like, right, no yeah. one looks at it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so I, even as a young leader and as a young owner, I, I really always had to deal with people coming on board. And, and I was really upfront about our ambitious goals and what we were looking to do. Um, I was really upfront with even our finances. Yeah. Right? I got into open book management out of necessity because wow. people thought I was a trust fund kid and, sure. and uh, making a, a zillion dollars and at a restaurant that was struggling at the time. And I said, would you be surprised to know the business does $3 million, but we lost money last month. Right. This is what that feels like. Um, but at the same time, I, I don't bring anyone on board that I don't understand where they're going. Right, And say, hey, listen, while we're here together, yeah. Um, I, I will um, try to make this valuable for you, right? Make make it worth it. Make your time worth it. Yeah. I, I think that if you look at life uh, in thirds, you know, we have our first 30 years of our life, which are like this flash that just go by. Yeah. And, and then we've got from 30 to 60. It's like the prime of our life, hopefully our health, and mm. we're building a family and careers and all of that. And then from 60 to 90, like that's so uncertain, right? I've got friends right now that are in their 40s with, terminal diseases and you know so mm-hmm. we're asking people to work for us and with us during the prime of their life and then if you look at days in thirds like you sleep one third of it 
you're at work more than a third, and then that other third that's supposed to be special and precious gets taken advantage of by, by work. I'm traveling right. to it or I'm stressed about it. And I just think that like if we, we have a deal with people that your time is going to be um, valued here, um, you're going to be working on something that matters, which I think if you spend 10 hours a day working on something that doesn't, um, yeah. it's demoralizing at a subconscious level. And, and then I also get to know enough about people that I work with about what are their dreams. So I literally have a vision board that I ask them to fill out. Mm. And, you know, this whole notion, I hear people talk all the time about work-life balance and they're in pursuit of something, which I don't think really exists, right? I just don't think, I don't know anyone, and maybe they exist, but I don't know anyone that switches off when they leave work and they spend X amount of time and they're totally in that zone. And I am much more into creating work-life momentum, Mm. right? Like so that, you know, friends of mine say, I, I can't believe you just took a couple of weeks off and you have four kids and you do this stuff and go f- Europe for two weeks and you take a month off here and you take time off there and yeah. because you create momentum. And that's not normal, but normal sucks. <laughs> it really it sucks. Does, normal yeah. people are fucking miserable. Well, they're boring. Normal businesses in our industry go bankrupt. Like mm-hmm. normal really sucks. Yeah. So looking at how do you get away from the notion of surviving every day and how do you thrive? Like yeah. there's a different formula to surviving than there is to thriving. Absolutely. So we look at that personally. We look at that professionally. We look at that within our communities. How do we become um, valuable within our communities? Yeah. How, do we, how do we give more to get more? And then we look at that family-based as well and say, how do we, you know, as a dad, I, I, it, it's not about winning as being a dad, but it's about how do I be more valuable to my kids and yeah. more present to them? Man, that's brilliant because value is incremental. So it can always increase. It can right. always expand. What, what is winning? Off or on? Right. Right? How do you accomplish something that's off or on? Either you win or you don't. But then it's such a strange thing to measure. So I feel like by creating a culture of which you do feel valued, you feel like you're being educated, you feel like you have career momentum, you feel like you have someone looking out for your career and your maturity and your business acumen and coaching you. I mean, you seem to embody all of these things. That, in sum, to me, seems like far more reward and value than an extra dollar, oh, an, hour, an hour, you know? It, it does. And the, and the great thing, as I said earlier, like there's a direct correlation between what I feel is doing the right thing mm. and being successful in business. Like people of the first three people that I hired in my business 20 years ago, two of them still work here. That's amazing. Of my first 10 clients, seven of them are still clients. Yeah. Right? Like doing the right thing really no, never goes out of favor. And, and hey, I don't want to make it sound like we're just doing the right. Working for me and with me, anyone will tell you. Tom's here with me today and Candace you talked to. Yeah. Almost, almost nobody said this is the hardest place that I've ever worked. Yeah. It's, you know, we're, we're always trying. It's always changing and it's always, there's a fight, you know. It's like, we want to interrupt a pattern yeah. and, and change a conversation and agitate a system that isn't for the faint of heart. You know, it That's really right. isn't. <laughs> it's, you know, I always use the analogy of weightlifting. It's not supposed to hurt in a painful way, but it is supposed to be sore. And it is supposed to be just a little bit challenging every time. Yeah. But why? So it can grow. Right. And it can change. Yeah. And that's it, man. Being disruptive, punk rock shaped a modern era of music. New right. Wave did the same for modern dance music. But the, think, and I've got a few questions left for you before 
you as I call it a commencement speech, like but working at Bar Institute in Dallas, 2017. It's kind of cool. First time in Dallas, we're in an abandoned building where zombies lurk around every corner. Yeah, it feels like anyway. <laughs> where do you get your inspiration from? Knowing that you have to know about the market trends, you have to know about people, what they're doing. How do you do that? What kinds of things help you remain inspired? You know, I. I... I study a lot, and I'm an entrepreneur's organization, and I surround myself with people I'm inspired by. And I don't mean, um, per se, their financial success, but people that I gravitate to that are happy. Yeah. You know, that are doing worthwhile things that are, um, you know, if they sold their business, they'd keep doing what they're doing. Yeah. You know, and their, their families are engaged and all of that. Um, luckily, with the, the work that I do, you know, we, we really work on, human to human you know like yeah. and business fundamentals is where so like market trends like people ask me they think i'm in the restaurant business and I'm a consultant and a coach and they'll ask me about food or drinks or music and i, I just don't know a lot about those things <laughs> to be honest <laughs> i love them all yeah, i'm a yeah. great customer um and and i'm interested in them yeah. but i'm but i'm i'm enthralled with like the human aspect of it and that's where i just spend 95 percent of my time yeah. so that's fun to do you know it's it's great to be a part of and like you talked about whoever you're speaking with that that works with our studies with us that's the most interesting part of it yeah. you know and and you look at um, whether it be a manager of a business or an owner of a business like his or her success in business over over time is directly correlated to how successful they are at home or in their marriage or sure. in their community. Absolutely. Right? You get jammed up in one of those areas and it just comes to work and it becomes that bottleneck. So that's why we we spend um, you know, a fair portion of our time outside of the day-to-day of running yeah. a bar or restaurant. It's amazing. All right, so three. Because I, I, I could just keep picking your brain for another hour. But we're both busy. Yeah. We're both dying the prime of our life, so right. to speak. Right, right. So... The first one I asked this of all, all the guests, and, and so I don't know, I, and for, it doesn't matter if you drink, it doesn't matter if you do for me, it could be tea, it could be a drink, whatever Yeah, you like to sip. But let's say you are in your favorite bar, cafe, whatever, in the world, and you can sit there and have a conversation with someone living or deceased, anybody. Who would you love just to sit next to and have a conversation, just dive right in, talk about history, talk about their lives? You know, I, I've studied um, a lot about and, and with actually the family members of John Wooden. I just find his story um, to be remarkable, you know, and, and, and I'm not even that big of a sports fan, yeah. you know, with what he did with UCLA. I think they won nine titles and people say it'll never happen again because of the way the league's set up now. But I mean, who he was as a man to yeah. that school, to the students. Um, his wife passed, I believe, 30 or 35 years before he did. Wow. He never remarried. He wrote her a letter every Tuesday and put it on her pillow. You know, he was just a guy that when I saw how he lived his life, it was no surprise, like, how he attracted the best talent and, and the best coaches. And, and I, I've seen footage of him, and I studied with his grandson and uh, the Wooden Leadership Academy. Wow. I did this really cool course a few years ago. And they showed footage of him, like high pressure game, you know, championship game. 
and he's sitting in a chair just with his legs crossed and he's watching he looks like a fan and wow. i'm like i can't believe that's coach wooden in the middle and they interviewed him later and asked him about that particular moment and it's how he always was and and he said i'm a coach my work was done at practice you know they play the game wow and me yelling or shouting and it only confused them we've already talked about what they need to do and who they need to be on the court yeah Right, so it's incredible. Yeah, I just think it'd be fascinating. And then actually, a, a friend of mine, Don Yeager, who's a great writer, um, he was writing uh, Michael Jordan's um, autobiography or yeah. biography, and one of the pieces was on John Wooden uh, being Jordan's one of his mentors. And he said, "Oh, well, he, he didn't even go to his school." And yeah, because he, he went to North Carolina. Right? That's yeah. right. Yeah, but he asked him, and he did it. And so part of the piece. Uh, he went out and interviewed him and about this relationship with Michael Jordan and so forth. And uh, he said to him at the end, hey, what does it take to get you know, somebody to be uh, for you to mentor? And he said, all they have to do is ask. Oh, my gosh. And so he asked, and he flew out to see Coach Wooden for like the next uh, four or five years before he died. And so I've heard about those conversations. So that's probably wow. who I'd love to spend a whole day talking to. And that's amazing. Yeah, he sounds like a really interesting guy. You're right. A good man is good both at home and at work. Can't have one without the other, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, tomorrow you've got a class. Is that at 10 o'clock in the morning? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. So we've got, you're, you're kind of starting off, setting the tone for the Bar Institute in Dallas here tomorrow, which is nice. What, I'm sure we touched on a little bit of what you'll be talking about. What, what's the scope of the chat tomorrow? So tomorrow, one of the things I get asked about most is, is you know, we've we've had the privilege of working behind the scenes with like thousands of businesses, and yeah. I, and I work. I used to work with a couple dozen myself every year, and now I coach. I bring together a group of about fifty people, and we connect every uh, sixteen weeks in Annapolis. I built a leadership center there that cool. is is a lot of fun, a real passion project. Um, but the thing that people always ask is like, what are these people like? What what is the top one tenth of one percent of the industry do right that makes that group outperform the top ten percent by yeah. multiples you know what do they do and i show them I, I put together eight or nine things tomorrow that they do all these things are low cost no cost and often people see them and says really that's that's it that's yeah. a major catalyst in their success and it is so i love sharing that sort of thing you know i study a lot and and i know a lot of people do but it's I love to leave people with something that they could take back. And the goal tomorrow, is, if you attend, is to um, listen and, and really whittle it down to one thing that yeah. you can commit to. And then my team, we always say, hey, we'll help you implement. Like, I just want to see people try something, do it, and then succeed at it. So that's what we'll talk about that's tomorrow. That's amazing. A coach yeah. coaches. That's good. I mean, I, I can't wait to, to check it out. I mean, it's, it's one of these things, man. That, again, you're, you've got this rich personality. There's so many things I want to dive into. Um, but I like that. I hope people listening like that, and they'll say, shit. I gotta go see Sean talk. I have to go be a part of this thing, this community. Which brings me to the, my last question for you. And you've been successfully turning around businesses, turning around people, empowering them, enlightening them for just about 20 years, if not right around that. And I can't imagine what the last third looks like for you. You'll be a father. You will have been married over 20 years. I mean, what is that third act of the three-act play? What's that look like for you? You know, I, I really feel, and it, 
I really feel like we're just getting started. Yeah. You know, I I think that, as I say, in this country, like there's so much work to be done and so much beautiful work. You know, it, it's it's messy sometimes, but, um, you know, what where I want to spend my time and, and have my team focused is we spend a lot of time, I don't want to say helping owners become wealthier, but spend a lot of time on that. Right. Yeah. And the passion inside of that was like, let's figure out how to be connected and engaged at work and at home. Um, I spent about a decade with with management and leadership and, and building programs. We I'm teaching a, a program now that I'm passionate about that runs across about 55 countries around the world that we do with the Agio mm. on the business of bars, which is, uh, you know, just sharing these ideas with people all over the world. But this next chapter is really about. Um, folks that are 30 years old or 50 years old that are, that are working their ass off and they're stuck, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, the American dream is just, um, it, it's just something that they can't see the next chapter to. And as I said, the only way to do that is to really connect with leadership and say, making it better for them is, is just good business. And, yeah. you know, that's where I'm going to continue to, to bring in my network and people that are, amazing speakers and authors and, and thought leaders and industry uh, experts in this industry. And we do a little bit of work and crossover with government. I live near D.C. and, and, and trying to talk. It's, it's, the political system is a little uh, unstable, should we say, at the moment. But I hope to <laughs> reengage in, in our industry and, and the, the discussion or the fight over minimum wage right now and, yeah. and a working wage. And um, so there's, there's a lot of work to do, and it's, um, it's work worth doing. I think so. I could see you in politics. Oh, I don't want to be in politics. I like I like man of the people talking to talking to. <laughs> I think I'd be a terrible politician. Really, I do. I don't know, man. Sometimes it's just about being able to connect with a crowd of people and motivate them in the same way. Yeah, you know? I don't know. I might stay in the business sector and just uh, interface with the politicians. Maybe see how I get along. <laughs> Well, I'm excited for the chat tomorrow. You know, cool. thanks so much for coming into Dallas. And yeah. thanks for spending some time just sit down and chat with me, man. It's been it's really lovely. I, yeah. I really appreciate it. Very, very, it's a pleasure. To sit I've down. enjoyed it. I hope Thank so. You. So, and I can't wait to see as a burgeoning podcast host what you do yeah. next. Yeah, I just bought the gear, so. Perfect. <laughs> well, to, we'll, we'll talk about tweaking it then. Yeah. Once, once we wrap. So I hope you enjoy the rest of your stay, mate. Thank you God very speech. much. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Well, there we have it, CEO and founder of Bar Metrics, Sean Finter. Thank you, Lush Live, for putting on the Bar Institute, putting on in Dallas, and allowing me such opportunities to chat with these brilliant, dynamic, ambitious, inspiring people. Again, Sean has been doing this Bar Metrics thing for 16-plus years, changing the industry, paying forward all of the knowledge from all of that hard work he put in, you know, you don't have to start from scratch. There are people you can learn from. There are people that can mentor you. And again, Sean has another great installment of his Barmetrics program via the Bar Business Breakthrough Summit here in November. Applications are due here in just a mere five days. I'll post the link. It's something worth attending. You have a business. You want to talk to other people about the woes and the ailments of having a business. There's no better way than being self-effacing and sharing your troubles and sharing what you might feel are inadequacies in your business to improve them. And I think Sean sets up the perfect platform to do that. 
So thanks everybody for listening to Should View with Mike G. No matter how much Tales from the Dark Side you're binging on Amazon Prime, or if you're thinking The Inbetweeners is quite a lovely show, no matter how crude, please keep dancing.